0: Good morning, everyone. In our second reading, Paul writes uh, from a prison cell. In this case, that would become his, one of his crosses that he would bear. It would be one of his final ones also. Uh, but from there, he's asking a community to accept the person he is sending uh, and to accept him as they would him. And this morning, um, we welcome Deacon Macayo. He's been working all week. This is his first week with us. Uh, and uh, so we welcome you, Deacon Macayo. And uh, absolutely. And my friends, uh, certainly uh, Deacon McHale has not been a slave to me or anyone else, only to Jesus Christ uh, as servant. So my friends, um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, uh, where he knows he will be crucified. This is the opening of the gospel, as it was read today, proclaimed to us. And there we are told a crowd is following him, and we are told that he turns to the crowd and has something to say to them. But you should know that the crowd that has been following him have been following him because of what he has been doing. He fed them mysteriously from the mountain and uh, he has healed people. But there's something else he's been doing. He's been waging, he's been doing this to the religious authorities. You hypocrites! And to the Roman Empire, he has been, mm, mm, mm. mm, mm. So now Jesus is walking. They think he's on, um, if you will, victory march to Jerusalem, but he is not. He is marching towards his cross. He is going to be executed. And he has been telling them that being his disciple is tough. So now it opens, and he says, he sees that they're following. He stops, he turns, and he gazes on them and says, Now you, all of you, because they've been cheering him on. Yeah, 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 you tell them off. And now he says, now I'm going to address you. Are you ready and prepared to sacrifice what is necessary to be my follower? And um, my friends, he speaks to them about the cross. He offers them the cross, but Jesus does not only offer the cross to them. He He has also offered them hope and victory and freedom, and we can't forget this either. Jesus did not invite those would-be disciples to carry the cross without purpose, but to carry it knowing that victory is upon them, that there is hope in him, and glory is coming. If in Christ there is no crown without the cross, there is neither a cross without the crown then. And what is that cross? What does he mean by that? For you and I. For him, it literally means he's going to pick up a cross, the wooden cross. But for us, it can be as plain as, for some people, they consider their life to be so boring. And so for them, it is a form of a cross to them. And I'm not talking about just I'm bored today. I'm talking about those who don't see joy in life and wonder why they're still here. There are those who have common burdens placed upon them that they must carry. It can be a particular cross, such as living with an injustice that has been done against you, or perhaps you have an illness that is not going to be cured. For some, that cross presents itself as their partner, meaning they're married, their wife or husband has passed, and now they must carry that cross of mourning. And for some, a mother and a father who have lost their child, that is a cross for them now to carry, that type of mourning that almost only another parent could understand. It could be a cross that seems distant, surviving a place where it's ravaged by war and violence and great injustice and famines of every kind. Or it could be one that is in proximity, meaning within neighborhoods now and within our own country, where gangs and drugs and violence are every day and every night things. It could be a cross that we call habitual sin, where the person seems trapped in a particular sin and cannot escape from it, For some, uh, it could be a particular demeanor about them that seems to be a cross. It can be an addiction of any kind, and the struggle to be free of such a cross is a heavy cross indeed. Perhaps a worthwhile cross is found these days just trying to live as disciples of Jesus in a society that's just not very friendly about it. We are called as his disciples to try and to live simply and to live without uh, a great deal of materialistic things. It's not that they're bad. And Jesus says, don't let them become your God. Don't work yourself to death so that you have five houses and ten cars. He said, what? You can't take them with you. Today, though, um, it is for many for almost all Christian denominations, it is a countercultural experience, because our world uh, does not like uh, many of the things that Jesus has taught. And when we advocate for solidarity amongst us Christians, uh, particularly when we uh, view those who are marginalized in our society, we could be talked about. I mean it gets worse upholding the sanctity of all life, all life, from beginning to end. You're speaking out for those who do not have a voice, such as the unborn, and for those who are elderly, who no one wants to listen to anymore. Our Christian values and virtues demand that we stand up for them. And there are many in aspects of our society that don't care about that, don't want to hear about it. And my friends, when Jesus told his would-be disciples that they must hate the nearest and dearest things close to them, Jesus—if you've studied your scriptures—does not um, talk about hate, and he does not. Um, he's not the destroyer of family and life. It is a rabbinical way of him speaking. He wanted to get your attention, so he says, "Unless you hate," and in the. Hebrew language, hate is a, their understanding is less love. It's a little bit, it's kind of odd. Uh, But it's important for us to understand when Jesus uses language like this, how to accept it. Uh, Because somebody was like, oh, that's a terrible thing for Jesus to say. Well, you don't understand uh, the lingo that's happening. If you do, then you'll understand what he's getting at. But my friends, Uh, Jesus is merely stating that loyalty to him and his Father must be number one. And to love God this way does not mean you love others less. That's not what Jesus taught us. He said, you will love them as you love yourself. But then when he left, he said, I tell you, you will love them the way I have loved them. So I've never encountered anyone who has told me, my family loves God so much that they don't care for me anymore. I've never heard that, and you should never be afraid of that. But he just meant that God must be first and foremost above all things. And this was the cost of Christian discipleship as we understand it. The cost of discipleship may mean only small sacrifices, such as we will lose an acquaintance or a friend because you happen to be Catholic. And it happens. In the months leading up to my ordination, those who I thought were friends of mine, once I became ordained, said, Goodbye, we want nothing to do with you. Because now I became a representative of the Catholic Church. I did not hate. I did not wish ill. I was just saddened by it. That is the cost. My friends, there are some that do not like Christian principles and morals and values and behavior, so they will be put off by you. That will be the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. On the other hand, it may mean major losses, even loss of life. Now, in this country, we haven't seen it, but in other parts of the world, they do kill Christians. We remind ourselves that within our canon of saints, there is a large list of martyrs. Uh, there is no shortage of Christian martyrs in our, in our decade. There have been many. When Jesus spoke his words about discipleship, and carrying his or her own cross, remember, he was on his way to Jerusalem to accept his cross and to carry it on his shoulders all the way to Calvary. At such a critical time for him, he was looking for real disciples, real followers, people that would imitate him, and people that would be in solidarity with him. Jesus was not looking for camp followers. He was not looking for fans. He was not looking for lukewarm people. He was not looking for those who begin the journey but then decide, nah, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. So my friends, what do we do first? We first pray for each other, for all Christians, that we will have the grace and the commitment to remain faithful to our Lord. We pray for each other that we will also have the grace and integrity to carry the crosses that are presented to us, whatever they may be. And we do it in union with our Lord. And let us not forget that our cross is is his, his, was something more than just a cross. It reaches beyond itself. It becomes an instrument of grace and peace and joy and ultimate freedom. No one saw this as peace and joy and freedom, and yet salvation flowed through it to us. It becomes a sign of Christian identification, of grace, of testimony in this world. For a disciple of Christ, the cross is part and parcel of the junior. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He said the opposite. But he also gave us hope, victory, and glory is yours. We can either stare at the cross. We can complain about it, and many Christians do. You can curse it. Many Christians do. You can try to ignore it. Lots of Christians try and do that. A few of you here, as your pastor, I know. Or you can pick it up with his grace and carry it faithfully. Commenting and talking about the cross does not bring salvation. Carrying it as a faithful disciple does. We are walking with Jesus either as a fan someone who you think is very nice, or you will be a committed disciple. There will be no middle ground. There will be no gray area. The book of Revelation speaks about Jesus' feelings about lukewarm disciples. It is one or the other. You must make a commitment. Acceptance of the cross and carrying the cross can change your life in a very personal way, taking you from being just an admirer of Jesus or a fan of Christ into a committed and true disciple of Jesus Christ. My friends, the first reading is from the book of Wisdom, is a part of Solomon's prayer, King Solomon, and he asked God for wisdom, uh, wisdom to understand all things. He was older, and uh, uh, some of his plans had failed, and he was seeking wisdom. And so that whole chapter talks about planning and being prepared and being committed. And Jesus presents us with two parables that have the same theme, to plan and be committed. With discipleship in Jesus, it has to be intentional, it has to be planned, and you have to have commitment. Now most of you do this just to go on vacation. I plan, I make my commitment, and I go. With discipleship, it's the same way. With the addition of grace, you need grace. Now, maybe you might need some grace when you get to the airport (laughs) to be kind (laughs) to people. My friends, uh, in our lives, many times we have recommitted to Christ. We've said, I'm going to be a better person. I am going to not judge people so harshly. I'm going to try to love more. And like most, we have gone through all the motions of such commitments many, many times. But my friends, making a commitment to follow the gospel and the church is not the same as actually doing it. It's not the same as actually following him. You've got to actually do it. Because it is very difficult to reorient our lives to walk in the ways of Christ, but not impossible. With grace, we can, but you have to want to. It takes planning. It takes decisive action. I have never heard anyone come and tell me as a priest, Father Mark, I didn't have to plan it. I didn't have to make any commitments. I didn't have to think about it. It just happened. I've never never encountered anyone. No one who's ever said that, because it would be not true. It would be not true. It takes effort and planning and commitment to follow the Lord, and following the Lord isn't something that just happens. So my friends, how ready are you? How ready are you to follow Jesus, to walk in his ways and his teachings, And to pay the price of discipleship. To pay the cost. How do you do this, Father Mark? You do this by being faithful and committed in all things to your wife, to your husband, to your children. In your workplace, you act with the morals of Jesus Christ. You don't put them aside. When I'm at work, I don't have to. Yes, you do. You're a disciple. You Breathe and eat and live the disciples' life. Everywhere you go, everything you do, every decision you make is based on what Jesus has taught us. How you spend your money and what you spend it on. How you spend your time and what you spend your time on. All of it. All of it. These are the things you must do. You must choose to walk in justice and do that which is just. You must be merciful and kind, and you will have to make sacrifices. You will have to carry your cross. There is no escaping from it. True discipleship is, in fact, lived out in the world arena, not just in this building dedicated to Jesus Christ, but everywhere. It encompasses the totality of your life. And my friends, I am not a monk, and I do not live in a monastery. I live right here in the city with you. I understand that the secular life has great demands upon your time and everything else, your money, your time. It leaves little room for anything else. But here's what I'd like to share with you about being a disciple of Jesus. Discipleship raises secular demands to a new level of holiness. If you live the life of a disciple every day, everywhere you're at, your home, your work, wherever you might be, there will be a new level of holiness, then will the world be changed. Because we will be focused on fidelity to him, to Christ, and we will express it every day in our life. Now, my friends, I always look... um, Last week, I used Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary of Nazareth. In the scriptures, the angel, an archangel, comes to her and says, Mary, favored one of God... Remember, she is born like us. Jesus was incarnate. Mary is born like us. Yes, as the angel said, she had favor. But Mary had her crosses in this world. And she carried them with dignity and with grace. And I'm going to tell you how and why she did this. So remember with Mary, an angel tells her she's going to have a baby, She's patrolled to Joseph. Joseph finds out, and Joseph says, I'm taking you to the next town and getting a divorce. First cross. Next, she has her baby, and she has to run with Joseph because crazy Herod is going to kill her baby. There's another cross. Remember, she is the favored one of God. Early on, there is the death of Joseph. She appears at the wedding of Cana, and she is not with her husband. And she is not with her son at that time. Jesus comes later, so we know she is widowed already then. She would not have gone to a wedding without her husband, so he has died. So early on in their life, Joseph leaves. And remember, in Jesus' time, a widow is at the mercy of everyone. Next, Jesus has to be about his heavenly father's will, and he leaves his mom. She's a widow. (laughs) There is another cross. Not only does her only son leave, but now she's left to the mercy of her neighbors. Ah, let's bring up those neighbors. Jesus is talking something new and claiming things, and now her neighbors despise her. As a matter of fact, they tell her, go get your crazy son. It's in the scriptures. Go get him. He's acting crazy. Or he's possessed by a demon. No support from those neighbors. Another cross. They would persecute Jesus throughout his life. Another cross for Mary. And then finally, in front of her, They nail him to a cross and kill him. Talk about crosses. She handled all of this with grace, and that's how she did it, with grace. Nothing was more important to her than God. Nothing was more important than Christ. And because these things were outweighed from her, not that she didn't have other cares and not that other things didn't matter, but this became primal. And because of that, grace flowed through her. It will for you. So I ask you, what is in the way of you becoming a disciple like that? I can present myself. I told you what happened. My friends ditched me. <laughs> I try and remove those things that block God's grace in my life. But I present Mary to you because she is the favored one. So if you say, well, yeah, but I love God so much. Yep, Mary did too, favored. And look what happened. Look what happened. She is queen of heaven and earth. You see, Jesus doesn't just give you the cross. He gives you victory. You just have to travel faithfully with him to the kingdom Jesus Christ is king, and the scriptures tell us that you are his brothers and sisters. So what does that make you? If I was in England, they would answer this really quick. If Jesus is king and he is your brother, what are you then? You are royalty. You are princes and princesses. He has the price he paid for you. Know your dignity. Know who you are. Favored ones, know who you are. We may have crosses in this world. We just need to get to the kingdom. Royalty. Mm -hmm. Amen? My friends, um, today, uh, Pope Francis elevated John Paul I to a saint. He only reigned for 33 days in 1978. Uh, But what is known is his holiness and his joy. He is known for his smile. Nothing like a joyful Christian. (laughs) Let us be the same. Amen?